is the Global Coworking Unconference Community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of coworking since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. I am dorked out about my latest guest. It's Sarah Travers, the CEO of WorkBar. Okay, Sarah, first question. Personal, I don't want to hear about your business. I want to know how you are. (laughs) I know. Going in. Oh, God. You are going in. (laughs) I am really good. You're catching me on a Monday morning, so I just had a nice, relaxing weekend. And it's the end of summer. My kids are getting shipped back to school in two weeks. So like all I know, it's what I've been dreaming about for for months now. (laughs) And so all is good in my world. And I'm great. Thank you for asking. How are you? You know, I'm good. I just spent the weekend in Miami with friends. That city is on fire. It was a little hot, a little hot. I was thinking it would be a cool down from Texas. Not really. Not in August. But I love that city. It was really fun. And it's really hot. So I'm yeah. not rested, but I had a really fun okay. Day. Okay, good. I mean, I guess it's it's a balance, right? It's a balance, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm heading to Miami in November, and I'm excited. I hear that Miami is one of the few co-working capitals of North America. So that does not surprise me that the Queen of Co-working herself was there this weekend. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> okay, but you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and just totally yeah. get away from my questions because of your comment. So you said it's one of the top cities. And, you know, it's so interesting because Boston, where you are, definitely hot. Miami, hot. Austin, hot. You know, New York is coming back pretty well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I hear mixed things. Some brands Mm -hmm. say D.C. is a struggle. Other brands are like, we're killing it. Same thing in Chicago. Same Mm -hmm. thing in L.A. I think Seattle's still slow. San Francisco, I'd say, is still mixed. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, I hear I hear very, very much the same. I think big cities where big companies are still in a war of ta- for talent and, you know, trying to appease their employees and offering either remote work options or hybrid work options, like in Boston, Miami, New York, Chicago. I think those cities for co-working are, are doing really well. I think some of the mm-hmm. smaller cities are people are getting back to work more often often and and going into the office. So I think it's I think it's sort of relative to the size of the city. And I think the smaller cities are seeing people back into the office more so than the larger cities. Boston is Boston is just a real, you know, I think I put Boston and Miami in the same top tier category of co-working cities in North America and quite honestly in in the world. I mean, you know me, I'm all about world domination. But mm-hmm. um I really, I really think that these two cities are parallel in their sophisticated offering of co-working in their, you know, I think Miami is driving a lot of sort of crypto industry business and work and Boston is Boston, you know, since the beginning of time has been an innovative ecosystem. And so I just think that you have two really great cities. So funny because I was having lunch with Michael Feinstein of Bureau Mm -hmm. and we're talking all about real estate and the industry and all these things. The gentleman next to us said, 
I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Are you guys in real estate? And we're like, yeah, sort of. And he was a blockchain guy yeah. who is a CEO that's in Miami and recently mm-hmm. moved there. So yeah, ding, 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 ding. Right, so I right. think, you know, one of the things I love about Work Bar is you guys have always had a focus on cities and the suburbs. Not right. everybody knows about that. Can you talk just yeah. a little bit about your model and how Workbar is kind of different from anybody else in the world? Right, right. So Workbar is different than anybody else in the world. Back in 2015, work well, Workbar's been around for about 12 years. The company was founded in 2009. So we are a little bit of a legendary brand. So work parts have been around since 2009. And the model, you know, has always been based on the people working out of the space. We we didn't start with the space and try to, you know, put members into the space. We started with the member and worked backwards into the space. And one of the things that, you know, after a few years of being in business, our members were saying, how can we get this productive, fun, social, innovative base out closer to where we live. So in 2015, WorkBar opened up its first suburban location and filled up very quickly. And from there, the model turned into really flattening that WeWork industrious model of focusing on urban hubs. We flattened it down. We spread it across an entire region. And our members flocked to the suburban locations. And they not just flocked to the suburban locations, but they valued mobility. And they valued going into a location closer to where they lived in the morning, avoiding that rush hour commute, going into the city for a lunch, a meeting, whatever it was, and then hightailing it out of the city before the commute started again in the afternoon and ending their day closer to home at a work bar. So on a given day pre-pandemic, you know, between 12 and 15% of our members work from a non-home location. That's since gone up post-pandemic to now that number's closer to 20, 25% where members on a given day are working from a non-home location. And we've been able to create this regional network of co-working spaces where our members can, whether they're working by themselves or actually more often than not these days, they're working with their team and they're going to all meet at a location, usually out in the suburbs. Our city Mm -hmm. locations have come back to life. They were a little bit slower than our suburban locations, but they've all come back and they're all operating at, you know, above what occupancy was pre-pandemic. So they're all doing really well at this point, but we're really still focused on having that one or two key urban locations and the rest of our locations, the rest of our strategic expansion is happening out in the suburban market. So smart. So smart. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't, that just doesn't exist anywhere else. And I think it's, it's really a differentiator that people should take a look at. So a lot of people are saying the office is dead. I think it's just whatever everybody's glommed onto right now. Right. And, you know, I do feel like it was definitely ripe for disruption. The commercial real estate industry hadn't innovated in a really long time. And now everybody in commercial real estate is looking at co-working or opening up, quote unquote, flex, which is Mm -hmm. really, to me, just saying we're going to offer you flexible terms with something that looks like co-working, but probably not a community. So mm-hmm. I do think the office needs to be redesigned and downsized, but I don't think it's dead. I think mm-hmm. you're going to end up going, you know, 
some weeks you're going to need a couple of days at home. Some days you're going to need a couple of days at the co-working space. You'll go to the office when they give you a good reason to go there. So mm-hmm. I don't think the office is dead. I think it's smaller and potentially better, but mm-hmm. not dead. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. And and sort of what you say, you know, knowledge workers have the benefit of having a purpose-driven day. So on the days they need to go down to the HQ, great, go down to the HQ. On the days where they can have a productive day outside of the HQ, you go to a work bar, go to where it makes more sense for you to sort of have the best, best day of work that you can have. I think, you know, Anthony Slumbers is the one who said that companies aren't looking for like the best office space on a planet. They're looking for a productive workforce. And so finding the right tools to drive productivity within your workforce. I think that's what's most important. I think that, you know, the office is certainly not dead. I think the office is going to be downsized. I think we're going to see a shift of, you know, a a pretty major transfer of money from the commercial real estate asset class into the residential asset class. And I think that there are some landlords out there who are not in denial about that and who are focused on creating better products in the marketplace than others are, and those landlords will be rewarded. You know, WorkBar is currently working with a landlord in downtown Boston on a partnership where, you know, in the next 30 to 45 days, we are going to take over all of their spec suites in their downtown Boston buildings, and we are going to offer them to, you know, our members and our all the leads that we generate as a new product offering. Mm. And companies can take those spec suites, work, you know, one-on-one with WorkBar. They'll have no relationship with the landlord. They will be WorkBar members. That will be their own dedicated branded space in a downtown Boston building. And then their employees will have the option to go work from there or work from our regional network of spaces out in the suburbs. And to me, a landlord that has their eyes open and they see the future and they're not in denial about what's happening in the world, I think that that says a lot that there are landlords out there who are now shifting their focus to saying our buildings should have not only, you know, traditional long-term leases, they should have flexible spaces, they should have co-working, they should have, there should be some sort of connection because that's what employers want. And that's what companies want as they're looking for real estate. They're looking to downsize their footprint overall. And then they're looking to offer their employees a solution to work from home that's not work from home. I think work from home has become that acronym of work from any place that's not the HQ. But in reality, people aren't really working from home. They're working from other places. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just no, there's no like acronym that that newspapers have really, you know, clung on to like work from home. So So interesting. Scott Galloway was just saying that in an article last week. Okay, so you can probably tell that I read Scott Galloway. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so I do. And I, I you know, I, I, I think that he has and his, you know, I think his podcasts are really, really enlightening. And I think he has sort of his finger on the pulse of what's happening more so than a lot of the landlords that, you know, are, are kind of in denial about it. But, you know, mm-hmm. that being said, I think there's room for everybody in all of this. And I just think that the landlords that are partnering with best-in-class operators like WorkBar, they're going to be so ahead of the curve. I mean, we have this partnership brewing that it's been brewing for a few months and we're pretty close to finalizing it. We have a wait list of member companies that want these suites and all they are waiting for is us to sort of sign the ink on our deal and they're ready to move in. And it's 
not only because Work Bar has this brand recognition here in Boston, but, you know, before Work Bar came along in this relationship, this landlord had these spec suites on a website with flexible terms, you know, basically offering what we're offering, move in ready, Mm -hmm. plug and play type of thing. They never got a single lead for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, you know, you can, I was reading the other day about a company that's doing this um, down south who is partnering with a very large design firm to sort of reimagine their spec suites, but they're handing off the sales and leasing to a traditional brokerage company. Yeah, Those brokers work. do not get those leads. I get those leads. Workbar gets those leads. And then you add on the amenity of the regional network. I mean, that to me is just such a fantastic product for companies yeah. out there. So no, I certainly don't think the office is dead. I think WeWork is going to have some competition from companies like WorkBar partnering with landlord companies mm-hmm. with their enterprise suite products. And I think that, you know, landlords should be saying, wow, how can I get into that business with the best in class co-working operator who already has that marketing machine? And WeWork should be a little bit nervous because we're coming after their enterprise companies saying, not only do you get this fantastic, you know, dedicated HQ managed by WorkBar, but you also give your employees access to an entire regional network of productive co-working spaces out closer to where they live. I love it. And then through juicy places, you can be connected to spaces all over the world. So exactly. boom, done. Boom, yeah, they... done. What else, what else do you need? Right. But well, congratulations. That sounds like an awesome opportunity. And I love to hear wait lists. I don't think people realize how much demand is coming their way. Like I was talking eight months ago about like, here's the things you should be thinking about in preparation for what's coming. Like you have no idea. September is when this is coming out and it will have started. People will see that this is coming. Y'all we're recording this in August, but it's September is when the beginning of the hit starts. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we just opened up a 22,000 square foot space out in a northern suburb of Boston called Woburn. We opened it on July 1st. It opened at close to 50% full. And it's a suburb where no co-working has ever existed before, but it opened up fall, you know, relatively fall and sales can continue to sort of, you know, go up month over month. And so it's so interesting to me because people were like, I can't believe you're opening up that big of a co-working space out in a northern suburb. And I'm like, you don't understand. We have the demand. We don't have the supply. So my focus over the past, you know, six, eight, 12 months has been supply, supply, supply out in suburban markets in Boston, where we do not have co-working locations, because we have a long list of companies who are saying to us, look, we have these enviable downtown H quarter, some of the biggest companies based in Boston, with hundreds of thousands of square feet of space in the city of Boston, saying, we want to sign up our employees for your mobility membership that gives them access to all of your locations. You guys are missing a space here, a space here, a space here. So it's been yeah. our, our our focus on opening up those co-working locations. Yeah, every company, listen up every company out there, you should be doing a map of where everybody lives and picking off the density and putting people into co-working because we've got this figured out. We know community, we've got the spaces, right. you don't need to create it, send it to us. It's like, right. it drives me nuts. It's like landlords see co-working and they think it's like in their bucket and it's not 
in your bucket. Yeah, like if bucket. you see a really great coffee shop, it's are you going to so go make funny. a coffee shop? Don't right, make a coffee right. shop. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny that you do see these big landlords saying that they're not, they're not, I mean, I don't know if they're trying to get into the co-working business. They're, they're definitely putting in these like, you know, flexible, hospitality driven, community focused spaces in their buildings that are going to be empty for the rest of time because right. they, you're absolutely right they're no they're not they're not destinations they're not how are you, how is how is an employee going to want to go into that space when they don't even want to go into their own HQ i mean right. what is the difference there there's you know and so yeah i think stay in that's your lane, where buy buildings eh, exactly stay in your lane let us stay in our <laughs> lane yeah i mean i it, i totally agree with you liz and you know i think that there's a world out there right now that exists where a lot of the members that we have who do work for very large Fortune 500 companies, they like coming into work bar a couple of days a week because they're not with the same group of people that they're always with. I think the generations that are rising yeah. into the workforce, they value that inclusiveness, that connectiveness, that diversity aspect of what a co-working community can give them. And, and I think the younger that, you know, generation needs it. They need it. Like they they've do. been at home for two years. Yes. If they're just entering the workforce, they need that connection. They need right. to be around other people. They need to learn. You know, I think employees care about sort of, you know, social capital and employers care about Cuban capital. And I think that co-working is sort of the perfect way to bridge the gap between those two, you know, those two functions as you have on the one hand, employees, young employees, they need relationship. They need proximity. They need, you know, the chance for upward mobility. They need social. I met my husband at work. I mean, it's, that's how, you know, that's how you make connections. It's all through Mm -hmm. proximity and that's where they derive value and and employers care about human capital. So, you know, I think that, I think that there is a, a world out there where, you know, this type of solution exists, at least here in Boston, because work bar provides it. And I think landlords, I think employers, I think that the word is out to a lot of these companies that this is a really good solution for their employees. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about lately is one of the things I haven't seen is a co-working brand really focused on like college students and folks Mm -hmm. straight out of college. Because I think that what a 40-year-old professional wants to see versus what a 20-year-old wants to see are going to kind of be different. Yeah. I mean, we have a college membership. So you do. (laughs) We do. We do. So, you know, we we do see that. Well, you know, we have partnerships with some universities in and around the city of Boston to Mm -hmm. drive you know, whether it's internships, whether it's mentorships, whether it's sort of that's been something that Work Bar has had its had its hand in since in, over the past decade. So, you know, we're very involved with Startup Boston. We're very involved mm-hmm. with, with a lot of the startup organizations and with the innovation drivers here in the city of Boston. Mm-hmm. So we're focused on students. And I think that coming, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, where a lot of these students were, you know, within the four walls of their dorm rooms 
we yeah. we did encourage them to come into, especially when libraries were closed, we encouraged mm-hmm. students to come into our studies because each of work bar locations, our physical layout has neighborhoods and one of them is like a library. So we encouraged okay. them and we opened it so up to students. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the neighborhoods because I know about it because yeah. I've been on work yeah. bar since the beginning, right. but a lot of people right. don't. Can you talk briefly about the neighborhood concept? Yeah. So work bar, our physical layout is, is, is what really sets us apart from most co-working companies that operate today. And, and it's primarily open space. Over half of our space is open space. It's not just wide open space, though. It is all designed around these activity-based neighborhoods. And it's really, you know, based on how people are productive. And we're not all productive in the same way. And we don't obviously all have the same job. So one of our neighborhoods is like a library. We call it our study. It's got carol seating. It's got sort of uh, the wood paneling. It's got book art. It's, I mean, it literally looks like the Boston Public Library when you walk into the space. Mm -hmm. Another neighborhood is called the Switchboard, which is very phone friendly. You hear a lot of sales calls going on in there. We have another neighborhood called the Commons that's really geared towards team collaboration. And we don't encourage people to get on the phone in that neighborhood. And then we have a very social neighborhood called the Cafe, which is there's music playing, there's booth seating, there's, you know, all the furniture is movable. So people pull, push desks, um, push tables together and have lunch Mm -hmm. in there and there's coffee. And that's where our community manager sits. And that's usually the neighborhood that you walk into when you come into a work bar. And so, you know, you walk into a work bar, you're greeted by our community manager. All of our neighborhoods have community norms in them, sort of just Mm. dictating to all of our members saying, hey, this isn't phone friendly. This is phone friendly. This is social. You know, pat somebody on the shoulder, strike up a conversation. We have a member board that is sort of a digital manifestation of our technology platform. When you walk in, it shows which members are in the space that day, all the events that are there. Everything that WorkBar does from sort of our regional network to our well certification to our to the physical layout of our space, it's all driven by what our members want in the space. And mm-hmm. they're very vocal. Nobody at WorkBar has a private office. Even, you know, I sit out and I co-work with all of our members. So we have a very close relationship with all of our members and they really drive not only our expansion strategy, but, you know, I talk to each and every one of them, not all of our members, but I talk to many of them <laughs> in each of our locations when we're opening up a new a new work bar saying, you know, what should we do in the network bar? Like, what do you like? What do you not like? Like, what, you know, how are we meeting your needs? How can we make this better? So it's almost like an experiment with every opening of, of a new work mm-hmm. bar. But, um, yeah. but they get, you know, they keep getting better and better. But the design has really ma- remained consistent over the past decade. And we fine-tuned it, I think, to now we have a, you know, what I consider to be what our wedding model is that we're opening up um, in a couple more locations over the course of the next six to eight months. But yeah, but it's really, it's, in my opinion, it's sort of what a true co-working space is. It's not sort of a maze of glass offices where everybody sort of sticks to themselves. It's a very mm-hmm. welcoming, friendly, social, inclusive space where mm-hmm. anybody can walk into it, whether they work for Amazon, whether they work for themselves, who, or whether they're a college student. Anybody can walk into it and feel like they belong in that space. And I, I think that's what's so important. And it's all very intentional. Everything mm-hmm. we do, we think about and, and it's, it's all it's all driven by You're listening you know, to your customer, listening to listening to the end user of the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so you guys were very forward-reaching mm-hmm. when you became the first co-working brand in the world to be well-certified. Right. Like giving you guys that on stage at Juicy is a moment I talk yeah. about quite frequently. Yeah. And I'm a huge advocate for not just physical health, but mental health. So oh, as life. you think about the future for for Work Bar, I have two mm-hmm. burning questions in about five minutes. So here okay. we go. I want to know what you guys are looking at next is in terms of the future of health and wellness. Like, what are you going to do next? You're going to go B Corp. Are there new ventilation systems? What's Mm -hmm. next on that landscape? And then the second question is, I always said, you know, do not leave your hometown till you got it covered up. And you guys are close to covering up Boston, in my opinion. Is Work Bar going to go out of Boston? So that, so first let's talk health and wellness. And we're going to talk about location in the future. Yeah. So, you know, I think that with our well certification work bar, like you just said, was the first co-working space in the world to achieve well certification back in 2017 in our Back Bay location in downtown Boston. Now we're really looking at, you know, continuing that and continuing the sort of the focus on health and wellness for all of our members. But we're really focused on sustainability and Ooh. having, yeah, and our and you know, with a goal of having our company being carbon neutral within the next 12 months. Amazing. And then yeah, and then creating a service to pass on to our members for mm. all of our member companies existing and new, uh, creating a process where they be- can become carbon neutral as well. So, Amazing. you know, we've we've done the productivity, we've done the health and wellness. Our next focus is really on on sustainability and and and, and being carbon neutral. So Fantastic. we're very focused. Yeah, so we're really focused on that right now. And to answer your question about leaving Boston, you know, Boston is our obviously our hometown. We still have quite a few locations that we're planning to open up here in Boston. We want to really, you know, create a moat around the city and and continue to cast a very wide net. So we just opened up our Woodburn location. We have two more locations um, that we're signing in the next probably 30 to 45 days to open up in Q1 that are between 20 and 25,000 square feet out in the suburban market. And then we're partnering with this, you know, a major landlord here in Boston, like I alluded to before, about taking on their spec suites and offering tenants the Mm -hmm. access, um, selling those. And and so adding, you know, probably over 100,000 square feet into our existing portfolio. Yeah. And really fine tuning our products and offering different product lines to the ever-changing needs of of the people, the tenants out in the market. And I think that's what's really interesting about WorkBar is, you know, we are certainly not a startup company. We've been around for over a decade. We are moving from being a small business to a medium-sized business. We're very entrepreneurial. We have a very small team. We can act quickly. We read what the market wants. We talk to all of our members. And I think that's one of the best things about WorkBar is how entrepreneurial we are and how quickly we can move and mobilize and pivot and and meet the demand of who is in the market today, but also who we really do think is going to be in the market tomorrow. You guys are so unique. You right. continue to listen to your people. You are a leader in health and wellness. You're a leader in design. You're a leader mm-hmm. in building community. You're a leader in hitting the suburban market. I love this new pivot. But one of my favorite things of all is you're one of the very few large brands with a woman at the helm. I love it, Liz. Thank you. So it's juicy. Yes, (laughs) I appreciate that. Yes, yes. No, you know, I think that that's important because I think that if anything, the pandemic has set women back in the workforce by decades and decades. And 
it is one of my personal missions to, you know, as you know, you know, as if you read the Scott Galloway piece last week about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this having caregivers, giving them, you know, a solution where they can balance their work and life more. 100%. Yeah. So I just think I'm doing something that is so important, not just for the world, but really honing in on women and, and providing a solution where they can easily, you know, it is work bar's goal to have a work bar within 20 minutes of where everybody in greater Boston lives. And to have a commute that's only 20 minutes, but gets you out of your house as a woman and gives you that flexibility. I, there's very little in my life that I think is more important than that. There really 100%. is. It's given how women have been set back yeah. decades. decades. Yeah. And decades. the caregiver piece is so, so, so true. If you guys have not read that yeah. piece by Scott Galloway, you need to. I love what he had to say I about our right. need to address the caregivers. You know, as somebody mm-hmm. that, you know, I my dad passed away last year and he was sick for five years. And mm-hmm. I was very tethered to this area because my dad was sick. I was afraid to go yeah. to Juicy because I was a, he died after Juicy. Oh my gosh, Liz. I know, but I was like, you know, I, I was afraid to go. Right, I almost didn't go. And, you know, it's like, it's so important. We've got to address that because it does fall on the women. And it also, falls on the women. look what happens when you put a woman in as a CEO. Great things happen. Great things happen. Great <laughs> things happen, Liz. <laughs> okay, this has been so fun. It's and has been. I love y'all, if, if I would go talk to Sarah for three hours, but I know that's not the optimal podcast time. <laughs> so we're going to say goodbye to Sarah, but just for the moment, don't worry. We'll have her back. We'll see her around. Yes. She's always a juicy and I adore I you. Am. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I adore you, Liz. Thank you. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next juicy podcast. Mm-hmm.